Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with looking at verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored and holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may be seated. My oldest son, Curtis, was a really, really good baby. Uh, smiling and happy all the time. His, his bouts with either tummy aches or whatever was very few and far between. And he reached a period, however, when he was about two years old, where his little personality completely and utterly changed. He went from the happy-go-lucky, sweet, little human to a terror. Now, what Curtis would do is if we told him to do something that he didn't want to do, is he would fall on the floor and he would begin to scream. Now, we dealt with this the way most normal parents would deal with this, is I would jerk his hind end up and beat him. Pow! Pow! And put good smacks on his butt. Actually, usually it was my wife when I would do the beating. But uh, he would get a spanking. Or he would get his hands smacked. Some sort of corrective behavior. And we found out very quickly it didn't work. He would get madder and madder and madder and louder and louder and louder. So then we decided we'd look up and ask the doctor what to do. Find out what we should do. We were new parents. I mean, I was only 18, 19 years. Well, by this time I was about 20. We didn't know what to do. So we asked the doctor what to do. He said, well, just ignore him. Okay, so we would ignore him and he would literally stop crying and roll into the room that we moved to and start crying again. (laughs) And we would get up and move back and he would stop crying and he would roll. Now he did this till he was about four or five years old and we couldn't break him. And finally, Kelly and I, we didn't know what else to do. So we decided that we would put him in his bedroom and shut the door. Now, we lived in an apartment that did not, could not lock the door uh, of his bedroom from the outside, so we would have to stand there and hold it as he screamed and tried to open the door because he wanted out. All because we wanted him to do something that he didn't want to do. And what we learned eventually is, is that over time, and it happened actually quite quickly once we decided to isolate him in his room, that he would stop. And we broke him of that completely uh, by simply putting him in his room and locking the door or holding the door shut. And what he would do is he'd eventually go and lay down in his bed and go to sleep. I remember one time while we were trying this out, uh, he got, was throwing a temper tantrum. We put him in the crib. He was cooking, kicking so hard, he knocked the crib over 
on its side, so it caught diagonally on the table it was next to, crawled out of it, came to the door, saw that the door was locked, this was at my mom's house, saw that the door was locked, crawled back into the crib, flipped it back up on its side, and went back to sleep. He was absolutely uh, crazy as it related to church, being asked to do something that he didn't want to do, something that wasn't his will. I was thinking about everything that's going on in our country and all of the craziness. And I remember sitting there and I was like, you know what? God's will be done. God's will be done. And when I said that statement, a sense of peace washed over me where finally I was taking my concerns and my will, what I wanted to be done, and I was putting it into his hands. One of the most challenging things that you and I can do is say, thy will be done. God, your will be done. But it is also one of the freest things to you and I that we can do is to say, your will be done. We're going to look at two examples today of people. The first which is found in Matthew chapter 19 of someone who thought that they had it all together and was doing everything that God wanted them to do. See, when Jesus taught his people to pray, as you turn to Matthew 19, when Jesus was teaching them to pray, it's critical to understand who God is. He said, how did he start? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have to make sure that we are in right thinking as it relates to who God is. Omnipotent, all-powerful all-knowing, ever-present God with respect and humility before we approach him. The second reason that Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he said that following that because before any requests are made to God, it should come from a heart of saying, God, your will be done. Jesus was our example of that, right? In the garden, uh, when he was praying, and he was getting ready to face something you and I will never have to face, which was the cross. Uh, when he was facing that incredible fear and that incredible uh, anxiety that he was having, he was so scared that he was sweating blood. He was hemorrhaging blood because of the fear and the anxiety. And so he still said, though, let your will be done. Even in spite of what he knew, he was about to face. Why? Because he honored God as the Father. He said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't first tell me to do. And he was doing the will of the Father. In our lives, if we want to be truly free, we have to say, thy will be done. We must be able to recognize who God is and also submit to his authority. A key point of salvation, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, is we must confess Christ as Lord. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that he's risen from the dead, then you are saved. We have to confess him as Lord and confessing him as Lord as making him Lord of your life, which is saying your will be done, not my will. Right. We as 
Pentecostals like to pray and proclaim and name things and do all of this stuff and speak things into existence. But that's not how it goes. It goes, the way that it works is, is that I pray according to God's will, and then God answers that prayer. It's not my will, it's His will, and when I'm in tune with Him, I will pray His will. Yes. And when I pray His will, He'll answer because He's already declared it to be true. Amen. That's how I can pray with confidence. That's why I said pray in Jesus' name. Pray according to his will. If we want our prayers to be answered, then we will pray according to God's will, which means spending more time with him so we can know how to pray and know what his will is. If you're miserable today, if you're constantly facing hurt, if you're ever fear and anxiety, if you're wondering why things keep going wrong, if you're wondering why you can't seem to get things together and you don't have peace and you don't have joy and you don't have comfort and you're always looking for a peace in some other place or fulfillment in some other place, most likely the reason is is you haven't submitted your will and I haven't submitted my will to God. In the book of Matthew chapter 19, you'll read about the rich young ruler. It says in verse 16, just then someone came up and asked him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And he said, why do you ask me about what is good? And he said to him, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments, which ones he asked. And Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? And if you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go, sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. This is someone who thought he was coming to Jesus to get a pat on the head. He thought that he was going to go to Jesus and say, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus was going to say, well, you've done a great job, son. You're halfway there. You know, you're there. Good boy. Keep doing what you're doing. He was coming in pride. He had been raised with a knowledge of the scripture. He knew what the word of God taught. And yet he still was lacking something. They said Jesus told him to go and sell his possessions. Why? Were the possessions the crux? God doesn't have a problem with people having possessions or even having a lot of possessions. His problem is the problem of the heart. And this man clearly was not asked. He didn't want God's will to be done as it related to his stuff. Right, man. Which is why Jesus told him, go sell all you have and follow me. See, he wasn't willing to give up his old life for Christ. Amen. He wasn't willing. See, he thought he was going to come and get accolades, but what he got was a lesson in humility that even though he had all of this stuff and he had been raised in church and he knew all of these things and he uh, was, had kept the commandments, even though that probably wasn't true, to be honest with you, because Jesus elevated commandments and said, even if you look at somebody and hate them in the heart, you've committed murder. And even if you look at somebody in lust, you've already committed a sexual sin. So he probably hadn't kept all those commandments, but let's say that he did. He was still lacking one thing, pride right, yeah. was in his wedding. Pride was keeping him from confessing Christ as Lord and giving up everything and following after Christ. Don't let pride keep you from following after Christ. Amen. 
I've let pride on more than one occasion keep me from following after Christ. Where I thought, well, I'm going to do it my way. And God, if you don't want to join me, so be it. Right? You ever had one of those things where you said, God, I'm going to do it my way whether you like it or not? Pride. Or the pride of thinking, I've got it all together. I was raised in church. I know God's word. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I know who Jesus is. When I was six, I prayed a little prayer that said, Jesus, come into my heart. I'm good. Yet we live in sin every single day. Amen. And we behave in a way that we know is dishonoring to God. That's pride. And that pride must be put aside so that we can say, thy will be done. Amen. It's challenging. It's not easy. This guy went away sad because he knew when he walked away, he wasn't going to do what Jesus told him to do. Right. He knew when he walked away that he wasn't going to do what Jesus told him to do. That's why he went away sad. And when he went away sad, he walked away from Christ, his Savior. Right. He walked away from the heaven that he asked about. <laughs> so he was missing something. He was missing Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way. My behavior, my goodness, how great I am, that doesn't earn me salvation. Amen. That does not get me to heaven. Don't let your pride be what causes you to miss out on the glory of a relationship with Christ. Amen. Don't let behaviors, your old life, keep you from calling upon Christ and calling him Lord. Don't let your past, your past mistakes, your current mistakes keep you from calling upon Christ as Lord and as Savior. Amen. But it starts here. It's a battle in the mind to say, God, let your will be done. God, let your will be done. Amen. It's challenging. It's hard. All of us at some point in our lives must face the challenge Amen. of saying God's will over our will. Yes. It is a challenge. It's hard. And I don't want to do it many times. But I find the longer that I fight against God, the more miserable that I get. The longer that I argue with God, the longer that I stay out of his house, the longer that I try to replace him with other things, the more miserable I become. And I wonder why I'm not happy. And I wonder why I don't have fulfillment. And I wonder why I need constantly to be inebriated or constantly have drugs or constantly have something that keep, is keeping me uh, happy. You know, I need, I need that next hit. I need that next drink. I need this. And sometimes subconsciously we don't even realize we need it. But we know that when we don't have it, we feel one way. And when we do have it, we feel another way. And so we'd rather have it than feel sad. Mm -hmm. Or understand the emptiness that we have is not related to possessions or material things. It's related to our relationship with Christ. Right, man. So we must be willing to make the hard decision. We must be willing to break off that which is hindering us from following after Christ. 
Don't allow our pride to keep us from serving him. Look with me now to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Starting with verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. And the vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house and he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales from, uh, fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. We have a choice to make when God confronts us either through his word, through a message, we have a choice to make. We can either be like the rich young ruler, throw a temper tantrum and go away sad and mad and angry, be like my son and fall on the floor and bang and kick and holler and be miserable and then roll from room to room, you know, in misery, you know, trying to get somebody's attention. Mm -hmm. Or we could be like Ananias. Now, when we talk about the conversion of Paul, not many people focus a lot on Ananias. He's kind of like a secondary player in many of our eyes, but he was not a secondary player. God appeared to Ananias. If, 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 here's the thing if, if for a refresher. Saul was given authority by the chief priest to go and arrest anyone who was a Christian who called upon the name of Christ. Anyone who confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, anyone that was preaching his name, Saul was given authority to arrest, and not just arrest, but to persecute, to take their lands, to take their children, to take their wives. It wasn't like today where you take one person and put them in prison or to put them in jail, they would take their whole families as a way of putting pressure upon the person to relent their faith. And they would take their lands, all, everything from them and strip them down to nothing. He even had permission to kill them, to take their lives. Paul went to Damascus for one purpose and one purpose only. His purpose was to kill Christians, to persecute them. In fact, he says in his own testimony that he went there to persecute them from end to end everywhere. He was, that was, he felt, his job. When God appears to Paul on the road uh, to Damascus and blinds him, Paul is sent to a house of, of a man called Judas. And as Paul is sitting there in blindness, God appears to a dude named Ananias. We only hear about Ananias once. It's here in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 10. God appears to Ananias, and he tells Ananias, I want you to do something. I need you to go to the one they called Saul, and I need you to go, and I need you to pray for him so that he can receive his sight. I've already told him that you're coming. Now, Ananias did what most of us would do, but God. <laughs> he said, God, you know that he was sent here with authority to kill me, basically, to arrest me, to imprison me, to take all that I have. He was sent here with the authority of the chief priest to 
persecute anyone who calls upon your name. If I go to him, you're like sending the lambs of the slaughter. Now, we know that God trusted Ananias because he came to Ananias with a big job. Right. And Ananias, had a, 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 he had a choice to make like the rich young ruler. Do I go off sad and not do the will of God? Or do I submit and take my life and put it in God's hands? And we know the story that Ananias, after he questioned God and said, God, are you sure about this? And God said, I've already showed Paul or, or Saul what he's got to suffer. Uh, and he's, he'll accept you. And so Ananias goes. And I love what Ananias says to Saul. He doesn't say, hey, Saul. He says, brother Saul. Now, he hadn't met Saul. He hadn't talked to Saul. He didn't know uh, from his own eyes that Saul had actually changed. He knew nothing except what God himself had told him. And so in stepping out in faith with what God had told him, that he was God's chosen vessel to take the gospel to the Gentiles and the kings and to the Israelites, he went and he referred to Saul as Brother right. Saul. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of commitment to the will of God that God wants from us. Right. That, he will, that we will believe everything that he tells us about what he has for us to do and then operate on that God is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. When you and I say, Lord, let your will be done, we are operating believing that God is telling the truth and that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says that he will do. Amen. Every time a prophet in the Old Testament prophesied, he did so putting his neck out, believing whom the, the God who spoke to him would do what he said he would do. Every time, they, every time they spoke, they were trusting that the God who sent them would back up the words that he gave them to say. Mm -hmm. Ananias was no different. He was going under the authority of God with nothing but God's word. God's word that Paul or Saul had changed and had been chosen. And we know that he believed God because he called God, uh, Paul brother Saul. Because Ananias was obedient, the world was changed right. by Saul. Because he was obedient, the world got to see what God could do through a zealous Pharisee mm -hmm. when he was converted to Christ. Right. Ananias is always kind of overlooked, but he was a key player in God's plan. He was a key player who said yes to God. He's a key player who submitted himself to God's will. He's a key player who said, God, I will do what you want me to do, even if it puts me in harm's way. I will leave my possessions, and I will follow after you. You and I could be free if we will say yes to God's will and making him Lord of our life. Amen. If we do not know him as Lord and Savior, simply confessing him as Lord, that will set you free. Confessing him as Lord, asking for the forgiveness of your sins, God promises that he'll have mercy and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We confess with our mouths, right? Yes. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Yes. Right? He'll forgive us. If we've been putting God off and stiff-arming him like this. 
saying, God, no, 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 no. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. That's being rebellious. And that's pride. That's pride in believing that tomorrow is guaranteed. That's pride in believing that your next breath is guaranteed. That's pride in believing that you'll walk out of this place, drive your car home safely. That's pride. That's man's pride believing that you have tomorrow. The Bible teaches us that life is but a vapor and then it's gone. The Bible uh, and Peter teaches us that the man is like grass of the field. One day it's good, the next day it's withered and dead. It's pride to continue to put off the call of the Holy Spirit or to continue to put off uh, and, and stiff arm God to believe that you have tomorrow when tomorrow is not guaranteed. So if today you've been running as fast as you can or you've been holding God at bay, today is the day of salvation. If you know and you know better and you've maybe even come up and cried a tear or two or prayed a little bit, but you've never truly made Christ Lord of your life, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place without calling upon his name. Don't leave this place. If you want to be free, you've got to say, thy will be done. Yes. If you want to have peace of mind, if you want to have joy unspeakable, if you want to have comfort in the midst of terrible circumstances, if you want to fill that gaping hole that you can't seem to fill, even though you're putting everything you possibly can in it, then the key is to say, God, let thy will be done. Yes. Use me. Keep me. That's what we're asking him to do. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.